right. You can open your Bibles to the book of Amos. Whoa! My beautiful art. All right. The book of Amos. Now, as we started last week, um, we started with the, the book of Jonah. Um, we're working our way through the, the minor prophets by, by God's grace. And um, as, I, as I said last week as well, the, the idea with this is really to, to familiarize us with this portion of, I think, Scripture that is not as well known as, for example, John 3.16. Um, the the Old Testament has got some some jewels, and I think the minor prophets we can we can definitely learn a lot from them. Now, last week we as we went through Jonah, I um, I may have <laughs> trying to get through forty eight verses was a challenge. Um, this week the book of Amos is uh, one hundred and forty six verses, so we will not read through the whole book. Um, I will not keep you here for three hours, but it will, it will take some time to lay the background, so I ask you to be patient with, with that as well. Um, now, that's also why I asked you to read the book. Um, if you had the time to read it, it helps you just to put the pieces together and get a better understanding of the whole book. And the whole, the whole Bible is given to us, and as Jesus said, He said we must search the Scriptures for they, it's they which testify of me. And so when Jesus refers us back to the Old Testament, it means there's something of Jesus, something of His redemptive plan, something about His justice, about His character that we can learn from it. And so that is why we want to study these things and we want to study it also in its, in its right context. So the idea today is to start with the introduction, um, to give a, a high, can I say, highlight a few things, give a bit of context, and um, also a bit about who Amos was before we get into what I would like to say is our sermon, which is Walking with God. Now, the title of Walking with God you can see in chapter 3 and verse 3. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. It says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together? Can you and God walk together if you are not in agreement, if you have not said, this is where we will meet, this is how we will do it, this is what God expects, are you in agreement? You cannot walk with Him if you're not in agreement. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on. But before we do that, let me just give you some context. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, we read about something that God told Israel, and um, I think this is can I say the exact context in which Amos finds himself? So in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which he sware to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full. So, says, I will bring you into this land, Israel. I will bless you in this land. I will give these things to you. You will have water. You will have wells. You will have food. You will have all these things. And you did not plant them. I gave it to you. 
And it says at the end of verse 11, When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him, and shalt swear by His name. Now, if you read the book, you'll know that this is exactly what they weren't doing. They were not serving the God alone. You shall not go after other gods, of, um, of their gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Now that is quite a while before Amos came to the picture. And just to, to put that in, in the scope of things, they knew what God had said. Israel knew what was wrong and what was right. But Amos nonetheless is sent to speak to the people of Israel. Now, last week I had the timeline on the board, but to this today I, you should have a timeline. I, there were timelines to be given to you all today. But we find ourselves in the story of Amos, which is just after the book of Jonah. Now, that's about 10 years after Jonah preached to Nineveh. Now, why is that important? Jonah preached to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Syria was the world power. They had control. They were conquering. They were killing. They were just taking over the known world of the time. But then we saw last week, Assyria repented of their violence. And now what's happened is, Israel is no longer under threat by the Assyrians. They no longer have to pay the tribute that they had to pay to the Assyrians. They're somewhat of a free country. They don't have persecution. They have peace. They can go about trading. They can go about making money. And Book of Amos even speaks about them having a summer house and a winter house. People could buy two houses. They were wealthy. They had all these things because the Assyrians were no longer attacking them. They were no longer having to pay that money to them. So they were in a, Amos speaks to Israel when they were in a time of peace and of blessing. And they were flourishing financially. But spiritually, they were absolutely bankrupt. They lived immorally, they were full of corruption, they oppressed the poor, they had a hollow religion, they were abusive, they were drunk, they were idolatrous, all of that, while God was so good to them. Let me show you a few verses just to paint the picture of what we're looking at. In Amos chapter 2, Amos chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. That's how they were treating these people. They pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek. And a man and his father will go unto the same maid to profane my holy name. Absolutely sexual immorality as well. Have a look at chapter 4 verse 1. Chapter 4 verse 1, Amos says, Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, that the mountains of Samaria. He calls them cows <laughs> because they're acting like animals. Which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say unto their masters, Bring and let us drink. These are God's people. Have a look at Amos chapter 5 
verse 10. 5 verse 10, it says, They hate him that rebuketh in the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. For I know your manifold transgressions, verse 12, sorry, verse 12. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just, they take a bribe, and they turn aside the poor in the gate from the right, from their right. So you can just see, I mean, there are many examples. I'm not going to go through all of them. But these people were far from God. Yet they were in the best financial and powerful state that Israel has been since the time of David. And um, Amos is sent to preach against this, this casual life, this easy life that they were living. And I think there's just a very practical lesson in just understanding that context. You know, we live in a generation where we really don't know the, the, the hardships of war and poverty and suffering and all these things that these um, that people knew in the past. And I think it's so easy that when we're in our land and we are, we've got our food and we've got all these things to forget the Lord and to turn to idols. And now those idols doesn't have to be a physical calf that you'd bow down to, but they're just things and things and things because, well, I don't need anything. Why would I need God? And so Amos is sent, but... Israel did not repent. Now, who was Amos? Amos was a shepherd and a fruit farmer from a small town of Tekoa in the southern half of Israel. So he's from the south, and now he's sent to the north. Okay, I mentioned this last week as well. Now, he's just, he's just got, he's got sheep and he's got fruit, and that's what he's doing. And he's from a small town of Tekoa. It's not Jerusalem. It's, it's just a little town. And he was called Poch. And he was called by God while he was working. It actually says, and you can look at um, chapter 7, verse 15, it says there that while he was just looking after his herd, God said, Amos, go preach to Israel. And so he was faithful in what God called him to do. He was doing his work, but God had a better um, plan for him. And I, I, I very much enjoyed looking at how Amos structured this letter. Now, he structured this letter by starting off in chapter 1 by addressing not the Israelites. He also did not address Judah immediately. So he kind of stayed af far away from who he was getting to. So here's this prophet. He comes from the north. He goes, no, he comes from the south. He goes to the north and he stands there in Bethel in their, in their, in their um, temple and he says... I have something against Damascus. I have something against Gaza. I have something against Tyre and Sidon. I have something against this and that. And if you look on your map and if you work through the verses, if, if, if you look at where, um, this is not how Israel looks, but that's how it looks today. <laughs> and this is the south and that's the north, obviously. Now, he starts off Damascus is up here. Then he goes this way, Gaza. Then he goes that way. Then he goes this way. Then he goes there. Then he goes there. So it's all outside of Israel, Judah's borders. He starts up here, goes there, goes there, goes there, goes there, goes there. Then he goes to Judah for one or two verses. And then he goes there. So it's almost like he's saying, in my mind, it's like, it's almost like he's drawing, you're drawing an X. <laughs> X marks the spot. 
or is zooming in on them. And the reason I think this is effective, or the reason I think this is very smart, is because it's like he's drawing a crowd. People are willing to hear what's wrong with other people. I have often sat in church, and I know as a Christian, you sit in a church and you're like, I hope Mr. or Sister so-and-so is listening to this sermon. And so you're sitting in church and you're thinking, I hope that and that and that, I hope they're listening to this. And so they're coming and they're listening. And then he gets the crowd and he's got all of them behind him. And then he says, and Israel, I've got a problem with you. And that's what starts off Amos' um, sermons. Can I say chapters 3 through 6? Amos preaches a series of sermons. And these sermons are targeted at what Israel is doing wrong. In chapter 7 to 9, he's got visions that God has given him that he also relays to the people. And he's telling these people, this is what God has a problem with you. In chapter 3, the first sermon that Amos preaches, he threatens them. And the reason I'm pointing this out to you is because Amos is... is God is using Amos to do different things or try different approaches to get the attention of the people. He threatens them. Then he calls them to seek him. Then he accuses them of something. Then he says there's judgment coming. Like he's, it's like good cop, bad cop. What's going to get you to, to react? All right. So in chapter 3, he threatens them. Look at verse 12. This is a crazy picture. Amos chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Thus, thus saith the Lord... As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children be taken to dwell in Samaria. So imagine, as a, he's a shepherd, he's got sheep, and he may have had to, one of his, she, his sheep is stolen, and he has to go and get and try and save that sheep, and he gets there where the lion is taken, and all he has is two legs and a piece of ear. It's all that's left of the sheep. The lion devoured all of it. And so that's what he's saying, Israel, that's what's going to happen to you. Two legs and a piece of an ear. It's going to be. So he threatens them. He says, this is coming. Then in chapter 4, he preaches a sermon that I think he titled, if he had a whiteboard, he would have titled it that. He would have titled it, You have not returned unto me. Ye have not returned unto me. Have a look at um, Amos chapter 4. And in verse 6 it says, and also I have given unto you, uh, given to you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and want of bread in all your places. Yet ye have, have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. He says cleanness of teeth. He's basically saying, I've kept food from you. I, you've, you've, you've been starving, yet you have not returned unto me. Then he goes on to verse 8. He speaks about water not coming down, rain not coming down in verse 7. And then in verse 8, so two or three cities wandered into one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have you not returned unto me. Drought, keeping food from them. Verse 9, the, the fruit are being eaten by the palmer worm. It says, and then the end of verse 9, yet ye have not returned unto me. Verse 10, um, he sends pestilence like unto that of Egypt, um, and your young men have died by the sword. And it says, yet, at the end of this, you have not returned unto me. And constantly, even verse, verse 11, yet, you have not returned unto me. 
So he's trying to, trying to say, guys, I'm, tr- I'm showing you, I'm bringing these trials into your life. I'm trying to get your attention, but even that is not helping. Verse 12, shocking verse. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God. You did not return unto me, now I'm going to come to you. Imagine, imagine being that sinful nation or that person, and God says, prepare, I'm coming. Prepare to meet me. That is um, sobering words. Verse, um, in chapter 5, the, the, the sermon's title is Seek. <laughs> Seek. In um, verse 4, Thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. Verse 5, But seek not Bethel. Verse 6, Seek the Lord, and ye shall live. Verse 8, And seek him that maketh the seven stars. Verse 14, Seek good and not evil. So now he calls them to seek God. He's warned them. He's tried giving them trials. Now he says, seek me and you will live. So he's offering for them to repent. Yet Israel did not repent. And then in chapter 6, the last of, could I call his sermons, Israel, um, Amos speaks about their wealth. Um, look at verse 4. Amos 6 verse 4, it says, well, verse 1, he says, Woe unto them that are at ease. Woe unto them, this casual life. Then he says, verse 4, Ye that lie upon beds of ivory, that stretch and stretch themselves upon their couches, and eat the lambs out of the flock, and the calves out of the midst of the store, and chant to the sound of the viol, and invent to themselves instruments of music like David, and drink wine in bowls, and anoint themselves with chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. And then it says, therefore, verse 7, now shall they go captive with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. So the people who had the most Wealth, who, were the, who, who cared the less, least about the poor, who were in the state of lying, I'm stretching myself on my bed, I'm drinking my wine, all of that, they will be first to go into captivity. And that is exactly what happened in Israel's history. The king, Jeroboam II, the one who was the king in this time, he's the one who was taken captive first. And so it's the, these wealthy, these rich people, um, not that there's anything wrong with wealth, but if you live like this because you're wealthy... <laughs> There's certainly something wrong. And let me just caution us all, you know. Um, the love of money is the root of all evil, right? It's not money, it's that love. And these people were all obsessed about how do I get more? I'll sell a poor person for shoes. I'll sell a righteous person for some silver. I'll do anything. I'll, I'll, I'll cheat. I'll, you know, I'll do whatever I want. I just want more money. And that's that love that drives these people and to drives us to to um, this type of life. Now, despite all of this, despite Amos pleading with him, and even you'll see in the book of Hosea, that's the next book we'll be studying, the same thing, the same people are being addressed. This time, it's even, I want to say, more vivid where Hosea has to marry a prostitute to show the adultery of the nation. 
So God is not, <laughs> he's not like kind of, um, guys, I really don't like what you're doing. And so without warning, I'm just going to send you into captivity. He pleads with them. He asks them to seek him. He sends trials. He's trying to get their attention. He, he sends a prophet to marry, marry a prostitute. All of this to try and get their attention, but they do not repent. We're not going to study the, the discourse, really, um, between Amos and um, uh, the priest in um, chapter, chapter 7, Amaziah. Um, but something I want to point out there is that Amos is busy speaking. He's talk, giving these visions. And um, he speaks, he's been speaking general about the judgment of Israel and what's going to come because of their life. But then he says, and now King Jeroboam II will be killed by the sword. In other words, right now, in your lifetime, with this king, this judgment is going to start. They haven't responded to anything Amos has said. But now listen, whoa, 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 Amos, says Amaziah, please um, don't speak about our king. We, we're okay here. We've got our temple. We've got our place. Please don't come now and say, you know, Jeroboam, you know, no, no, we're evil type stuff. It's okay as long as it's somewhere there in the distance, you know. Yeah, I know I'm, one day I will die. One day the end is coming. Yes, I know God is a righteous judge, but yeah, that's, that's, that's one day. As soon as you say, no, now, your king is going to die. You are the generation that's going to go into captivity if you do not repent. Then, whoa, you're being too, you're being too stern, Amos. And so um, let that just be a wake-up call to all of us, and I think personally as well. Don't live for 20 years from now. Don't live for 30 years from now and say, oh, one day I will die. One day it will be my time. It is sooner than you think, and I think we have more to, to work on as well than we think. These people were blind to their own sins. So Amos then continues to share his visions up to the, up to the end of the book. But at the, at the end of the book, there's the last few verses. He, he speaks about this coming kingdom where God will restore Israel and will save this remnant. And there's a beautiful promise in there that's actually quoted in Acts chapter 15 by James, where he says that the Gentiles, the heathen, will be part of this kingdom where Christ then rules. And so that is where you want to be. You want to be part of this, this remnant. You want to be part of these people who, who get saved from this group and are one day with God when he rules on the earth. And I just lastly want to point out a contrast between Jonah and Amos. Jonah was a prophet. And when God called, he disobeyed. Amos was not a prophet. He was of no prophetical descent. He had no prophet. What's a prophesying, prophesying background or anything like that? He was a man who worked in a field with sheep and fruit. God called and he obeyed. All right? It's not about your title. It's not about your position in society. It's about your obedience. Now, whatever that may be is between you and God. I mean, general obedience, yes, to what God has revealed, amen. Specifically, that's between you and God, right? But it's the obedience that makes the great prophet, not the title, not the position, not, none of that. It's the obedience. And the same similarity between Nineveh and Israel. 
Nineveh had one lousy prophet who did a heartless sermon and they repented. Israel had Amos, had Hosea, had all these prophets, Isaiah, all of them pleading with them, illustrating these things, spending time with them, and they did not repent. Now, are you obedient? And did you come today to have an opportunity to be obedient? Or did you come today because today is Sunday and right now it is 18 minutes past 11 and you need to find yourself at a church at this time on a Sunday? Why did you come? Are you seeking an opportunity to obey what God wants to tell you? Now, before we get into our three-point outline, I just want to pray. Lord, please come work through us. Work in us, Lord. We want to be servants who obey. Lord, there are people here who, who know what it means to abound. There are people here who know what it means to have nothing. And Lord, um, we want you to speak to all of us. We want to be um, we want to be touched by you, Lord, and we want to get that wake-up call if we need that wake-up call. And Lord, we want to grow closer to you, Lord. Speak to us, Lord, that we may obey. And Lord, that we may walk together with you, um, as you say in the book of Amos. And Lord, please guide us now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I told you, walking with God, chapter 3, verse 3. How can two walk together lest they be uh, agreed? So, basically, we saw clearly Israel and God were not on the same page. <laughs> they did not agree with one another. There was, something was very much wrong. Now, are you in a state of agreement with God? Can God walk with you? Can you walk with God? Can you... Um, Spend time with him in his word and he speak to you and you speak to him. Do you have that fellowship? Can he call you while you're at work and say, I need you to speak to that person? Do you have that? And if you don't, well, luckily we have an example in, um, in Israel to see what not to do. So what broke their, their fellowship, their walking with God? The first thing I want you to notice is, and these are the verses Okay, because you see what happens is if you only get a nice outline by, you know, midnight last night, then I can't have little papers printed for you, so I need to draw it out. So, uh, wrong cookie. Judgment and righteousness. Judgment and righteousness. I'm just going to say J. That is not right. Judgment and righteousness. In these verses that I've wrote, written down here, you see this is a theme that Amos constantly turns to. In chapter 5 or 7, chapter 5 or 7, Amos says, Ye who would turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. You've turned something that is sweet and good, judgment, and you've turned it to wormwood, which is something that's bitter, and distasteful. And you've left righteousness in the earth. You've left it in the dust. You've just, 
Righteousness, yeah, that's for someone else. Judgment and righteousness. That is one sure way to make sure that you are not walking with God, is to neglect righteousness and judgment. You see the same in verse 24. He speaks there, But let judgment run down as waters, and righteousness as a mighty stream. And then in verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Shall horses run upon the rock? Will one plow there with oxen? For ye have turned judgment into gall, and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. You've abused, you've distorted these two good characteristics, these critical characteristics of God that He calls His people to emulate. He wants us to judge righteous judgment, he wants us to acknowledge that God is just. God is righteous. That is who He is. So to not take that seriously is to not take God seriously. And they were not taking God's justice seriously. They were not taking righteousness seriously. They were, they were just going through the motions and sort of calling evil good. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter as that gall for sweet and sweet for bitter. Later on in that same chapter, verse 25, it says, Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against his people, and he hath stretched forth his hand against them. Judgment and righteousness. Now, that applies to your relationship towards others, and it applies to your relationship toward God. And Israel didn't care about either of the two. They were treating the poor like just something else that you can buy or dispense of or whatever it is. And at the same time, they were not giving God any of the glory that he receives, deserves to receive. So, to not take these characteristics of God seriously is to not take him seriously. So let me ask you, when you see injustice, false accusement, a false judge, someone treating someone, you know, falsely, does it upset you? Like the Good Samaritan, right? As that Levite. Does it upset you? Does personal righteousness concern you? Does your life and the righteousness that you are supposed to live as a saved child of God, does it concern you in the way that you live? Israel didn't care. Or, like Israel, do you just do you? Just do you. <laughs> just do you. Whatever, makes, whatever makes your boat float. Right? Oh, I like my golden calf there at Bethel and at Dan where God wanted to put a temple. I like my golden calf there. Or um, do you just, just do, just do you. This makes me happy. This gets me money. This allows me to lie on my ivory bed and stretch myself out on my couch and fill my stomach with all my food. So I'm just going to do that. For Amos, or from Amos, it is clear that um, our neglect of righteousness and judgment does not mean God then also says, Oh, well, I'll neglect my righteousness and my judgment. He cannot do that. And so God brings the righteousness and judgment that is lacking in these people's lives. 
We know that Israel did not turn from their sin. Israel did not turn from their lack of righteousness. They did not turn and see that God is this just judge who will judge. They did not care. But if Amos came to preach to Israel, Jesus came to preach to us. What are you doing about the righteous calling and the just judge that he is? What are you doing about that? Have a look at Romans chapter 3, please. Keep your place in Amos. We'll just quickly stop off here. In Romans chapter 3, we read a lot, a lot about this righteousness. <laughs> now, in, if you're familiar with Romans chapter 10, Paul goes and he says, I wish that Israel would be saved. My desire is that Israel would be saved. Then in verse 3 of Romans chapter 10, he says, they went to establish their own righteousness, and they knew not the righteousness of God. They, they, they didn't understand what it means to be righteous according to God's standards, so they thought, if I do it my way, I can somehow attain my own righteousness. And that is often what we, as people, do. We think that doing it our way, well, I'm trying my best, I'm, I'm doing this, that's good, but is it God's way? Is it the righteousness that God wants you to have. Now, Romans chapter 3, you can't attain your own righteousness. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. In chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Now we know that what things soever are written in the law, saith it saith unto them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world become guilty before God. That is what happened to Israel. They were taken into captivity. They had no more prophets. They couldn't even find a prophet if they wanted to. Every mouth was stopped. And every one of us will stand before God and become guilty if we're trying to establish our own righteousness. Romans 3 verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, are you trying to establish your own righteousness? Are you trying to do things your way like Israel was trying to do things their way? We're okay, Amos. Thank you. Go back to Judah. We don't want to hear your doom and gloom. Righteousness. God is righteous. Not He has righteousness. He is righteousness. Now, if He's righteous, He cannot allow anything that is unrighteous. We need to be righteous. And that is where Jesus comes into the picture. Verse 25 of Romans 3. Whom God, Jesus, whom God hath sent forth to be a propitiation, that's a payment through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that we may be, and that He may be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Israel had time to repent and turn to God. You have time to repent and turn to God. Not through your own works, not your righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. That Jesus is just and the justifier. All right. So that is the first thing that we need to have. If we want to walk with God, we need judgment, this justice of God and His righteousness. 
And I think a verse you'll be very, very familiar with is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, For He, that is God, made Him, that is Christ, to be sin for us, that we might be made the what? The righteousness, right? The righteousness of God in Him. So that is what you need, Jesus. There is no other way to be righteous. That is the first thing that needs to be in place if you want to walk with God. So if you're saved, you know this truth. You've tasted and you've seen God's justice and righteousness. You've been redeemed from that great judgment that is coming one day. And you've been called to judge righteous judgment. Now the question is, does your life exemplify that towards others and towards God? So the first thing we need is uh, judge, judgment and righteousness. The second thing that we need is um, true worship. True worship. Three things I want to point out under true worship. First of all, Jesus said, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God wants true worshipers to worship Him. But spirit and in truth, that means with your heart and with the right content. Now, if we don't do this, God may react to our worship the way He reacted to those in Israel. Have a look at Amos chapter 5. Look at how God reacted to Israel's worship. Um, Amos 5 and verse 21. It says, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beast. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. Imagine if that is God's attitude towards our assembly, our lives. Eh? Never. May it be far from us that that be ever the case, that God says, um, take away from me the noise of thy songs. It's not even a pleasing offering. He says, I will not even smell in your assemblies. In other words, he's holding his nose closed so that he doesn't hear the stench of their fake offering. Now, why did God react to their worship in this way? I want to give you three points under true worship. The first is, they didn't take it seriously. They didn't take it seriously. Chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12 says, But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink, and commanded the prophet, saying, Prophesy not. Now, if you know anything about a Nazarite, giving a Nazarite wine is a big no-no. That is what God put in place. You do not do this to a Nazarite. Also, why is a prophet there? It is to speak the word of God on behalf of God to the people. And they say, shh, shh. <laughs> now, that is not taking it seriously. 
They ignore the counsel of God by saying, a Nazarite shall this and this and this. They ignore that. They silence the prophet who speak the truth. Remember, truth is a requirement for a true worshiper. They silence the truth. Now the question is, are you on a truth quest to ensure that you are worshiping God the way He wants to be worshipped? Are you seeking what God has said for those to worship Him, what they need to have? What does their life need to look like? What do they need to leave out? What do they need to have? What does a Nazarite not do? What does a Nazarite do? Are you seeking to understand that? Are you seeking to take it seriously? The only way to worship Him is to worship Him in the way that He requires to be worshipped. And that requires someone to take it seriously. The second thing under, under a true worship that God requires of us is that we need to clean up and we need to seek Him. We need to clean up and we need to seek Him. In chapter 4, verse 4, God is sarcastic and He says, Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply thy transgression and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free, um, the free offerings, for this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, say the Lord. You like these things, Israel. You like doing these religious practices that I gave you, but now you're coming to Gilgal and you're coming to Bethel, but you're worshipping the idol. They had, just so you know, in, in Bethel and in Dan, those were two sacred places to the people, but they had put up a golden calf. Now, in my opinion, I mean, how blind do you have to be that the very thing that made you trip up just when you came out of Egypt is the same thing that you build up again and you say, this is my God who brought me out of Egypt. That's what they did. Now they go and so they go to the place and they do the things. They tithe, they give their offerings, they do all these things, but they do it to the idol. So God sarcastically says, yes, come, come to Bethel where you're supposed to meet with me and give to your idol. So, they're not seeking God. They're just heartlessly and ignorantly fulfilling their duty. Let me ask you, why are you here today? Why did you come to Bethel? Why did you come? Are you seeking God? If you're here for some other reason, that reason might be your idol. That is why they came. They came for their idol. But they came to the place of God. If you're not here to hear from God, to learn from Him, why are you here? The reason you're here might be the very thing that you, your idol. Could be your, your, can I say your face in society. I'm a Christian. I'm, 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 I go to church. Yes. Look, I went to the shop. I've got my church clothes on, so you know I went to church. All right? What is it that takes you to church? And before you can truly seek Him, you may have to clean up a bit. You may have to clean up a bit. In chapter 5, where we, we read the sermon about the seeking, the seeking, seek me and you will live, verse 4. And then it says, but seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal. That's exactly where they had these idols. Seek not Bethel, enter not to Gilgal. You have to get rid of those things and then you can seek the Lord that you may live. All right. And so before you can seek God, you may have to remove those idols 
from the sacred places in your life. That's another requirement for true worship. Then lastly, the third requirement for true worship is you need to prioritize. You need to prioritize correctly. In chapter 8, verse 5. Chapter 8, verse 5. Let's read verse 4. It says, Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail. Verse 5, saying, When will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn? And the Sabbath that we may, um, that we may set forth wheat. In other words, when will this new moon be gone? When, when will this sermon be over? <laughs> that we may go and sell corn and buy the things that we want to buy? Because, so one way of is knowing you're prioritizing correctly is saying, well, the things of God are getting in the way of my productivity. I could be using this time to make money. I could be using this time to get things done. I could be using, and now, he's, and now you're getting irritated with me because I'm giving you illustrations and you want me to finish up. <laughs> but the point is, he's saying, the verse is, when will the new moon be gone that we may go sow corn, and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making an ephah small and a shekel great, and falsifying the balances in deceit. So these people were in, or let's say they were religious, they were, they were observing the Sabbath and all of that, then they go and they make the ephah small. They make the shekel big. They go and falsify the balances. They're corrupting their business the moment they step out of church. You know, I honestly, when people told me that they are corrupt Christians, church, let me say, corrupt church people, I thought, my word, how is that possible? How can you listen to God's word and just be like, you know what, the moment I'm out of here, I can be me again. The moment I'm out of here, I can go do whatever I want. Tomorrow I can go to work and I can go continue with my corrupt business. And the longer I spent in the workforce, the more I hear people say, um, oh, yeah, yeah, um, that, th oh, that guy's in my church. And I'm like, wait, did you not just connect the statement that you just swore like I don't know what, you, you speak about your immoral life and then you say, oh yeah, that guy's in church with me. What? Righteousness? Judgment? Truth? Let that be far from us. You cannot walk with God if you do not prioritize God. If you do not worship Him in the right way. Lastly, urgency. urgent there needs to be some urgency have a look at Amos chapter 5 Amos chapter 5 and verse 18 it says woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord to what end is it to you the day of the Lord is darkness and not light. These people were saying, Oh, Amos, doom and gloom. Let the day of the Lord come. It's fine. We're fine. We're his people. Let the day come. Amos says, Woe unto you 
who desire that day. Because for you, it is darkness and not light. What does that day look like for you? Amos chapter 8, verse 1 says, Thus hath, the Lord, thus hath the Lord showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Good observation, Amos. Then said the Lord unto me, the end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. Summer fruit, a basket. It's off of the tree. It's lying in the heat. Tell me, how long does your fruit stay fresh in the heat? Not very long, hey? The end is imminent. And Amos is trying to paint the picture. He's saying, guys, you're like a bowl of fruit standing there in the sun. That banana is going to be black like that. <laughs> you just touch that fruit and it just gets soft. I don't know. It's rotten. It's like I'm to say it's frot. It's frot. Verse 9, oh, chapter 9, verse 10. Urgency. 9 verse 10 says, All ye sinners of my people, all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say, The evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. The evil, uh, evil is a foreign idea. Yes, there is evil. Yes, people do bad things. Yes, that. But the evil. <laughs> What evil is there in your heart? What sin is there in your life? No, I'll deal with that one day. I'll deal with it when I get there. The evil, it will not overtake me, don't worry. I am an Israelite. I am from Abraham. I am in church. I worship. They, their worship is off. Their worship is false. There's no urgency. They say, oh, one day. Oh, let the day of the Lord come. It's fine. They don't see the urgency. Amos is trying to tell them that you're not ready and your sin will find you out. What is, what is Israel's response? I think it's, it's um, nicely explained by Amaziah, the priest, his response to Amos' teaching. So have a look at chapter 7 and verse 12. After... after uh, um, Amos spoke, spoke against what's going to happen. Also Amaziah said, verse 12, Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee thee away unto, thy, unto the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there. So he says, Ah, oh, Amos, take your doom and gloom. Please go back to your house. Keep it to yourself. They absolutely, he, he's not, Amaziah is not concerned about the truth of the message. Amos was speaking the truth. The sword is going to come. You are going to go into captivity. Repent. And he says, oh, man, I, I don't care whether it's true or not. Just please, it's uncomfortable having you here. Please go away. Go to your land. And you know what's so good? Amos says, um, I don't prophesy in my land. <laughs> I farm fruit and sheep. That's what I do. I'm here to prophesy. Remember last week, geographical will of God? <laughs> I am here to prophesy. If I go back there, unless God tells me to, but then I'm just a herdsman again. So, and then what I, I, I found very, very good is um, 
Amos tells Amaziah that he says, you say, stop, prophesy not. And then Amos says, but thus saith the Lord. (laughs) You say this, but this is what the law says. Now Amos responds with an eye-opening statement, and this is the last one we'll look at, and that's in in chapter 8. He responds to this, chapter 8, verse 11. He says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst of water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Remember the sermon he preached, chapter 4. Seek, 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 ye says, and they shall seek the word of the Lord and they shall not find it. So let me ask you, will you seek the Lord while he may be found? Or, like Israel, the prophet came, and they tried to shut him up, tried to send him away. Which one will be your response? Isaiah 55, verse 67 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see, God is not excited by pouring out wrath. He would much rather have the wicked repent and turn. And that's why it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 to 8, it says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So, there's a call to repentance to all of us. Whether you are saved or whether you are lost, what are you going to do with the call? You are, if you are saved, the call to repentance is, I may be living in a life that is not walking with God. There are things in my life, whether it's my neglect of justice and righteousness, true worship or urgency about these matters, be keeping you away from walking with God. There are things you need to repent of to, to bring yourself close to God, to bring in intimacy with Him. But also, if you are, have not been saved, if you have not seen your need for salvation and that the righteousness is only to be found in the gift of grace through Jesus Christ, then it is also your time to repent, to meet God before He meets you on that faithful day, to seek Him before He's not found anymore. Now is the time. Seek His righteousness, worship Him in truth, and do so urgently, for that day approaches quickly. This is the way that we learn from Amos of how to walk with God, how to be in agreement with Him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, thank you for speaking to, to us this morning, Lord. Lord. Thank you for speaking to, 
to my heart. Um, but there are so many things that we want to, to do right, Lord. We, we want to be with you, in fellowship with you, walking with you every day. There are so many things we allow to, to creep in and that distract us. Lord, please help us. Lord, we want to seek you while you are to be found, and today is that day, Lord. Please come. Speak to each of our hearts. Save the lost, Lord. We need, to, we need to find you in a world that so quickly distracts us, Lord. We have peace. We have somewhat prosperity and all of these things and they so quickly take our focus off of you and Lord they take us so much further than we want to go look at where Israel was and where they were in the book of Amos their, their prosperity their, and these things are a blessing from you God and we use them to distract us please Lord help us focus our thoughts on you and um, our desire is to walk with you in this week as well please guide us show us where we can share your righteousness, Lord, and practice justice, Lord, and desire to worship you in truth. Teach us more that we may worship you better, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord. For this time, we ask that you depart us with your blessing, Lord, and please do not leave us. We want to be close to you every step of the way, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.